The third Republican nominee for House Speaker drops from the race, and what Americans think about helping our Afghan allies. All that and more today, October 24th, 2023. Good morning, early birds. I'm Simone Perez, and this is the Early Bird Brief, produced by Defense News and Military Times. First up, House Republicans are working to find a new nominee for House Speaker. Just hours after Republicans nominated Majority Whip Tom Emmer of Minnesota for the job, Emmer withdrew from the race. Emmer won the nomination after multiple rounds of Republican conference voting, but hours later it became clear he would not have the needed support for his GOP colleagues to win the gavel. And former President Donald Trump objected to his nomination. Here's why it matters. The work in the House of Representatives is stalled until the House selects a new speaker. The federal government risks a shutdown if Congress fails to pass funding legislation by November 17th. And President Joe Biden has requested money for U.S.-Mexico border security and to provide $105 billion to help Israel and Ukraine. Federal aviation and farming programs face expiration without action as well. It's been three weeks since Republicans voted out Kevin McCarthy from the Speaker seat. The House Speaker will need to accomplish the job of uniting the GOP majority. Another important story, a new poll suggests overwhelming bipartisan support for helping Afghans who helped U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode. So, Leo, tell us about this new polling data about support for helping Afghan allies who are either still seeking to escape Taliban rule in Afghanistan or who are also facing tricky legal issues over visas in the United States. Yeah, this has been a big issue that Congress and a lot of veterans advocates have been looking for because there's still tens of thousands of Afghan allies who haven't been able to make it over to the United States or in just uh, or just in some uncertain immigration status. So uh, the group with honor conducted a new poll of Americans to try and see where the country stands in this issue because there's been some significant opposition from conservatives in Congress to, to extending some of these immigration protections. And they found pretty overwhelming support among the public for this. About 80% of Americans say the U.S. should help Afghans who assisted U.S. forces in Afghanistan to resettle in, in America. 89% say that America has to do something, uh, you know, find some way to uphold their pledge of, of protecting them, providing security. 81% said that uh, the U.S. should help the Afghans escape Afghanistan and start a new life somewhere. So, Pretty overwhelming numbers. Um, splits between Republicans and, and Democrats were were fairly close, a little higher on Democrats, but still uh, Republican support. So it's interesting to see these poll numbers when uh, in Congress they're wrestling over this, saying we don't know if just opening the doors to a lot of these folks is going to be popular and will there be immigration concerns. And who are these folks supporting these Afghan allies and why does it matter to them? Yeah, With Honor is a bipartisan group that uh, is trying to find consensus uh, made up of a lot of veterans and a lot of uh, or folks with former military connections. Um, they work closely with the Four Country Caucus up on Capitol Hill, which is a, a bipartisan caucus. Um, and they've been introducing legislation over the last few months 
related to this issue, trying to find ways to reform the Afghan uh, special immigrant visa program, find ways to speed up uh, State Department processes to get more folks in. For these folks, this is the next step in sort of that legislative push. We'll see if it goes anywhere. Um, as you know, right now, the House is at a standstill because of the, um, the, the leadership issues and the lack of a speaker. Um, the Senate, it's been difficult to get anything to move here. So the hope of this group, and frankly, a lot of other veterans advocates that have been pushing for this in recent months, is that maybe the new polling will, will change some minds. Maybe some conservatives who've been reluctant will start to take a more serious look at this and try and push forward. It's, it's a difficult uphill climb. This is one of those issues that's really important to the veterans groups and to the Afghans who are affected. In the larger congressional space, you know, they've got a budget deal to deal with. They've got the annual authorization act. Um, they've got they've got the speakership fight. There's just too many other things on the agenda right now. So it's hard to see where this is going to break through. But, you know, with honor and these folks are crossing their fingers, hoping they can just get something moving. In other news, China removed its defense minister. He's the second senior Chinese official to be removed in recent months. Defense News Pentagon reporter Noah Robertson joins the episode to talk about the shakeups and why they matter for national security. So Noah, tell us more about the sh- latest shakeup at the highest levels of the Chinese military. Chinese Defense Minister Li Shengfu is out. Is that correct? Lee has been out of public view for about two months. The last speech he gave was in August. Um, and he only became defense minister earlier this year in March. He's not the only senior official quietly removed in this way. In recent months, Foreign Minister Chin Gong lost his job in July, and there was no explanation offered for that sacking either. This was followed by other top military officials in China's rocket force or its nuclear wing, who were axed soon after. Lee is the son of a, a former Red Army soldier and the former head of the Chinese Military Equipment Division, which has been under a probe for suspected graft recently. It's reported that Lee is being investigated for corruption related to his time there, but we just don't know yet. Uh, the two big takeaways, I think, from this really are that she has consolidated control to the point where he can pick the candidates for top jobs, um, in the CCP and the PLA and, and other wings of the, the Chinese government. He's picking people who are later being purged, and that in some ways calls into question his judgment. Also, that these sort of continued purges of officials are continuing after that was something that dominated early in his tenure, but hasn't done so in a little while. And what does this matter to the U.S.? Uh, you know, its strategic posture in the no pacific and the broader idea of U.S.-China relations. Well, Zaman, I think the core thing that we need to remember here is that there's a lot of information that we don't know. So it's important not to come to any early judgment calls, and we certainly haven't seen any indication that U.S.-China relations, specifically in the military sector, are going to change. That being said, I think there are a couple important points here. The first is that Xi Jinping, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, has consolidated power recently. He came to office in 2013 and served the two customary five-year terms as chairman of the CCP. Most recently, he has continued on an unprecedented third term in office. That means that he is more powerful than any Chinese leader almost since Mao Zedong. And for that reason, he's gained a lot of control over who fills top posts in the government. The second point goes back to something that's been suspended for almost a year, which is 
the all-important military-to-military discussions or discourses between the U.S. and its core adversary, China. These stopped last August when former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited the island, which Beijing took as an act of escalation because it considers Taiwan its own territory. After that visit, the Chinese cut off communications in the military front between them and the U.S., and the U.S. since has taken almost every opportunity that it can to ask for those to resume. The idea being that if the two militaries aren't talking, they're more likely to stumble into some sort of accidental conflict. That being said, there have been some openings recently. There have been sort of lower level conversations between admirals or smaller officials there. But at the ministerial level, we still don't have that. One of the reasons stated for the discussions not resuming was that Li, due to his time as the head of the equipment division in the Chinese military, was under sanctions since 2018 from the U.S. because he helped the Chinese procure fighter jets and surface-to-air missiles from Russia, which the U.S. did not like. Instead of resuming those discussions without conditions, Li and the Chinese military had said that lifting those sanctions would likely be a condition before they were to resume. Now that he's out of the job, we'll see if those military discussions do resume. We're still not sure. But the Chinese are hosting a military or security forum at the end of October. It was confirmed yesterday by two officials who are responsible for U.S. strategy military-wise in the Indo-Pacific that the U.S. has received and accepted an invitation to send officials to attend that dialogue. Also on the radar for today, the military's health insurance won't stock or cover the first over-the-counter birth control pill available in the United States. Some senators are asking why. Military Times Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins the episode to discuss this. So, Megan, thank you for joining us. So, what's the new pill at the center of this debate? So, it's called O-Pill. Um, it's over-the-counter, and it's the first of its kind to be approved by the FDA in the U.S., um, and the approval happened in July. And what are these lawmakers who sent this letter asking of the Pentagon with regards to this pill and the military health care system? So these senators are asking that TRICARE, which is the military's health insurance plan, that TRICARE cover this pill at no cost um, to service members, to dependents, to any, any TRICARE beneficiaries, and that it be available in pharmacies DOD-wide. Um, right now, it isn't. You know, DOD and Tricare have a little bit of a funny relationship with contraceptives because Tricare is not uh, doesn't have to comply with the Affordable Care Act, which requires that all generic contraceptives be covered without a copay. Um, Tricare doesn't have to do that, so there are some contraceptives that aren't available through Tricare, and there are some that require you know a fee. And so these senators are asking that this particular pill be available without a fee um, and without any barriers, essentially, to being able to get it. So who are the lawmakers asking about this? And what was the Pentagon's response? So there's Michael Bennett from Colorado, Maisie Hirono from Hawaii, Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, and Jean Shaheen from New Hampshire. They are the, the leads, but there are actually 31 senators who were signed on 
um, to this letter that was sent to DOD. Most of them are Democrats, but there are two Republicans, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins from Alaska and Maine, and then Bernie Sanders from Vermont as well. So I asked um, the Pentagon press secretary, Brigadier General Ryder, uh, about the letter today, and he said that he would basically have to get back to me about whether that they had um, received it. But he said that they would respond appropriately to the senators as they do with all of the letters that they received from the Hill. And now here's some other stories we're hearing chirps about. The Air Force announced an additional squadron of F-16 Fighting Falcons has arrived in the Middle East amid escalating tensions in the region. Army officials said a 21-year-old based at Fort Moore, Georgia, has died. A statement from the Army says Private First Class Cesar Gonzalez died after he was injured in a training exercise. The State Department officially announced this week that a military coup d'etat has taken place in Gabon. It said the United States temporarily paused most foreign assistance beginning September 26th. And China's top diplomat is scheduled to visit the United States tomorrow for a three-day visit. It's the latest move by Washington and Beijing to keep high-level talks open, even despite tense bilateral relations. And on this day in history, in 1929... Albert Fall became the first person to be convicted of a crime committed while a presidential cabinet member. Fall was Secretary of the Interior and President Warren G. Harding's cabinet. He was convicted of accepting a bribe while in office earlier in the 1920s as part of the Teapot Dome scandal. Fall was charged with with accepting bribes from oil companies in exchange for exclusive rights to drill for oil on federal land, including Teapot Dome, Wyoming. So here's the military angle to that, though. The oil reserves at Teapot Dome and elsewhere had been set aside at the request of the U.S. Navy, which had been converting coal-fueled ships into oil-powered vessels. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by the Associated Press, Leo Shane III, and Megan Myers. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Groups. Have a great day.